to The Golfing Mind, the, the podcast which looks at the game of golf in general. Uh, but in particular, we focus on the mental game of golf because, you know, as I say so often, um, if 80% of the game of golf is mental, and that's a number I get from not only playing professionals, but uh, teaching professionals, then it would be beholden upon us to explore the mental side of the game and master as much of it as we possibly can. And today I was um, wanting to talk about an aspect of the mental game uh, which we, we saw particularly manifested in the recent Ryder Cup, and that's to do with leadership. Leadership on uh, and off the golf course. Now, when we talk <coughs> about leadership, People often think about the boss, the captain, um, they're the leader. And then the leader tells people what they should be doing. And uh, for many years before I became very keen to explore golf psychology, uh, and I still do, by the way, um, I speak at conferences uh, around the world. I've written three books on the psychology of peak performance. Uh, the first book I wrote was called Natural Born Winners, and it looked a great deal at the whole I notion of success, uh, success in life and success in business. And uh, I don't think there's anyone on the planet who would ever say they want to be less successful than they are. We want to be more successful. We want to be more successful in all areas of our life, on our well-being, and our relationships, on our uh, ability to earn a living, uh, on the golf course, in the out of the bunk, everywhere, we want to be more successful. And what was interesting was when I was researching uh, the books I wrote, uh, I realized that the principles that lie behind success um, can be applied anywhere. So if you're a, a junior soccer team, you can apply these principles. And I started being asked to speak at conferences on leadership to look, um, if I could, and sort of give a guide on what makes a leader. And the problem with leadership, uh, I think, sometimes is, is a little bit like a, a good joke in as much as it doesn't really deconstruct. And a lot of a good joke is down to the person telling it as opposed to the words it contains. We've all been in a situation where you're at a, in a bar and in a social event and someone tells a joke and you're in the group and you laugh and you laugh and you laugh and a few days later you're with your friends and you say, oh, I've got this joke. And you tell them the exact same joke, you use all the same words. You try to get the inflection, you try to get the intonation and you're, you hit the punchline, your friends look at you and go, oh, right. So what happened? I mean, why, why did the joke work for one person, not another? And the same is true of leadership. You can look at the principles of leadership and then give the principles to two people. Uh, one person then demonstrates and manifests a fantastic ability to lead, whilst the other doesn't. And I think that's one of the great challenges in golf, particularly, you know, um, you know, you can do all the right things, but not get the right result. And I wanted to explore that a little bit today, uh, but the theme is going to fundamentally be about leadership. And the reason it'll make sense to, not make sense, but be applicable 
to everybody um, on the podcast today is that many, many years ago, uh, I was giving a lecture a long time ago, and it was just after the Rugby World Cup. And uh, for those of you from other parts of the world, rugby is a, a very popular game in the United Kingdom and Europe. And, um, you know, as we speak, the Rugby World Cup final will be taking place, uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, a week on Sunday. So uh, very exciting. And it's a, there's 15 people in a team. And um, I remember I was giving a lecture just after England had won the uh, Rugby World Cup in 2003 to a, a bank. And there's about a 200 of the executives of this bank. And they were all in managerial and leadership positions. So I immediately asked them who was the leader of that team. And um, immediately they shouted out the name of the captain. And I said, no, I asked the name of the leader of the team, not the captain. So obviously they thought I was getting a bit pedantic and they wanted to throttle me. So then I saw, and then they gave the name of the coach. And I said, no, that's the coach. I said, I've asked the name of the leader of the team. And uh, at this point, you know, murder was ready to be done in the room. And I said, at any given moment in a game, only one person can have the ball. I said, it's my belief that the leader of the team is the person with the ball, because if you have the ball, the 14 other players are going to do everything in their power to support you. And even though some people felt that was a bit of a sort of twisted answer, it wasn't, because I think in truth in, in sport, that leadership is not one specific thing. And I, I, don't, I don't believe in the notion of leadership in as, in as much as um, we've all seen this. I've seen people in organizations be promoted and their, their boss says, now you're no longer a manager, you're a, you're a leader. And the person gets sent on a three-day leadership course and writes lots of buzzwords down, hears about situational leadership, dynamic leadership, servant leader, all the different sort of views on leadership. And um, when people say to me, well, what do you think? And I say, and it's very simple. Um, nobody can lead anyone anywhere they don't want to go to, but you will follow somewhere to the ends of the earth if you trust and believe in them. So for me, trust and belief lie at the heart of leadership. Now, why is, what's this got to do with golf? Uh, and it's precisely this. The number of times you find yourself in a match, in a four-ball match, and you have a partner. And um, so the question is, who leads the partnership? Well, often on the first tee, someone says, I'll play the odd holes, or if it's a force, foursome, and if it's a four-ball, someone starts saying, well, hit the ball down there, then I can go for the green, et cetera, et cetera. And I think any good partnership, any great team has to be built on mutual trust and respect. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason I thought that in the Ryder Cup, it was, I felt sorry for Zach Johnston because Zach Johnston, um, because America lost, uh, was then sort of slightly hung up, hung out to dry about all the things he got wrong. And I think had Europe lost, I just wonder if um, the same thing would have happened to Luke Donald. I suspect not. And I think it's, again, he was so absolutely meticulously thorough uh, in all aspects. And he had the complete, um, oh, sorry, background noise, sorry about that. 
he had the complete respect of his team. So when he said to the every player on the right who in his team, I want you to play in the BMW Championship at uh, Wentworth, they all turned up to play. Nobody said, well, I've, I've got an exhibition match or oh, I've got an advertising responsibility. They all turned up. They all played in the Italian Open. So they all did what was asked of them. Now, I can't speak for the Americans. I, I don't know. But I think that in the case of Zach Johnson, I think he was articulate, professional, and it's possible, I mean, it's possible that um, he made one or two picks um, that were not necessarily based on the numbers, but why should they be? You know, in truth, you have to trust your gut. You have to trust your instinct. And there's many stories. I mean, there's a, a cyclist called Mark Cavendish who um, came back from the dead, I mean, professionally, to win a stage of the tour, four stages of the Tour de France in uh, 2001 or sort of 2021, 2022. And if you get a chance to read a story, it's astounding. So you can pick people, but a leader has to, to stand by and fall on their sword if they need to. And I think that uh, Zach Johnson is a good example of what I think. I thought he was a very good captain. Uh, as to whether he had the leadership, I have no doubt his team trusted him, believed in him. So he had those qualities, but it didn't get the job done. Luke Donald, on the other hand, I think is thorough and he's been a player. He's been on the team as is Zach Johnson. So he knows what he's, he's coming from a place of respect. And uh, it does make me uh, laugh sometimes because, you know, Europe have had some extraordinary captains. I say extraordinary in terms of the first time when the Ryder Cup was won in 1997 at Valderrama. I was there, actually. Uh, you saw Seve Ballesteros zipping around the course in an electric uh, golf cart. And as the story famously goes, he was almost telling every player how to play every shot. In fact, if he'd been allowed, he'd have played the shot for them. You had Nick Faldo um, when the Europeans lost in America. He'd hired a DJ to play music in the team room. I mean... Who needs a DJ to play music in the, the team room? And uh, he was aloof and distant, um, didn't communicate well. And I don't know a lot about that, but I do know that um, I was told that all members of the team uh, sort of, I can't say they took a vow, but I think they made a, a tacit uh, promise to each other never to discuss his captaincy, never to discuss uh, what went on in the team room, which tells you all you need to know. So how does leadership work for you and for me in the golf course well i think that when we're playing on our own i think we have to lead ourselves and by leading yourselves i think it's it's a that comes down to positive self-talk now i'm not suggesting you walk down the fairway having a conversation with yourself but it's very important that you can detach yourself sometimes from the emotional overload you can feel when you're frustrated uh, if you're playing with a partner, it's important that you both lead each other. You know, so if someone's looking at a putt, offered, would you like offer them a read? Say, do you want me to have a look at this? You know, if someone's between clubs, you say, what are you thinking? Because I think partnerships work well when both players are invested in the other player. This doesn't mean you ever tell the player what to do. I mean, I've had people come up to me and tell me what to do. You just a partner comes and said. 
hit a seven iron. And you're like, no, I'm not going to hit a seven iron. And you, you resent them telling you that. And I think we play our best golf when we are emotionally sort of what I call neutral. You know, now it, I'm not saying, and emotions and ne nervousness aren't necessarily the same thing. Nervousness is a natural human and physiological response. We're all going to get nervous. That's, and I, there's no doubt at all um, in the Ryder Cup, the level of anxiety that players must feel in the first tee. Uh, I think on every shot, there's going to be a level of like deep breath. Okay. And they're going to be nervous, but that doesn't mean that their attitude is, uh, or their emotional state is one of anger, uh, one of um, fear, uh, one of indifference, not two different things altogether. But you are responsible for you on the golf course. And I. this is why my friend in America used to say to me, you know, when I'm on the golf course, I'm a team of one. And I never kind of understood that. I mean, I knew the sentiment he was expressing, but I kind of get it now. I think that we have got to be our own um, best leader on the golf course. Now, it doesn't mean we tell our partners what to do, but we can we keep our own emotions in check. And uh, we do that by positive self-talk. Uh, it is, listen, I know how difficult this is. And for all the books I've written and all the lectures I've given, and all the uh, research I continue to do, you can still see me swear on a golf course. You can still see me roll my eyes. You can still see me occasionally sort of thump my driver into the ground to punish it for letting me down. But it lasts seconds. And then immediately I, I recognize what's going on. So we're not robots without emotions. We're going to feel the pain when we play our golf. So... What I'd like you to think about today in this uh, podcast is exactly that, is if you're in a partnership, um, do your very best to be a, a support in an as-required basis to your partner and to yourself. Uh, and the, the, the more that you can encourage your partner, I, I played in a, a four-ball match once in America with my friend Tom. And Tom is just rock solid. I mean, Tom is one of these people that's just going to be bogey or par, uh, or he's going to be very close. So he's like Mr. Dependable. And I remember going out with Tom, <clears throat> and uh, he hit the worst drive off the first hole. I'd seen him miles, and I then hit mine in the fairway. <clears throat> and um, he walked up to me, said, look, I'm out of this hole. And he said, a nice, easy three iron will get you on the green. So you can see how long ago this story took place. And I said, uh, uh, and I hit this three iron, just got on the green, uh, two huge putts, and we get a par, we get a, a, um, we get a, a half. And on the next hole, he hit a duck hook. And I'm thinking, Tom, are you, what were you drinking last night? And um, we, I got another par. And then on the next hole, I mean, Tom was just out of it. I mean, he just, I've never seen him play so badly. We lost the third hole um, to a par. We lost the fourth hole to a par. And at this point, I'm now in, in advanced panic mode. And I'm walking to the uh, fifth tee with Tom. And I just said, oh, we're going to get thumped, Tom. We're, we're just going to get crushed today. This is awful. This is this is awful. Because uh, it was a very important match. And um, I was a much younger man, obviously. And Tom, I remember, just stopped and looked at me and said, are you serious? 
I said, yeah. He goes, you're playing the best golf I've ever seen you play. He said, you're first and second, fantastic. You know, we did bad luck in the putts and the, the third and the fourth. We're only two down. He said, there's no way. You know, we're not, this is not, now. we're not going to lose this match. And he just said to me, honestly, Robin, you're playing the best golf. This is a, um, it's a joy to watch. And I then kept playing well. Uh, he started coming, finding a bit of form, and we we won the match. But in that moment on the fifth tee, he recognised that his game had gone, and rather than turn around to me and agree with me and say, "Oh God, I hope it's not too big a thrashing," he did the he he took a wonderful leadership position, and that's what we need to do. We need to always be a source of confidence to our partner, a source of comfort, indeed, to our partner. You know, and you know what they say in foursomes, never say sorry. And you know, there's something about that. And I've, I think everyone is trying their very best. And my feeling is if I hit a couple of bad shots, my opponents, by the law of probabilities, are going to hit a couple of bad shots too. So this ability <clears throat> to encourage and support, and I think that's what the great leaders do. I think the great leaders give huge confidence to their team. And I think with Luke Donald, uh, and we can look back at Olathebal when he was the uh, captain, and you can look back to you know, all the captains, both Americans and British. I think when the team can look up to them and just think they've got my back, they trust me, they have confidence in me, they have faith in me, uh, that's a great platform to build for. When the Americans lost in Glen Eagles, I remember Phil Mickelson um, was very disparaging about uh, Tom Watson. And there's always a possibility, and I don't know enough about the facts behind that, but I think there's a possibility that, you know, there's generationally Tom was slightly out of touch with the, with the team and the traditions of years gone by where the captain just said, do this. I mean, if you go back to the 50s, you had, a, I don't think, was it Ben Hogan or Sam Snead when they were captains of the Ryder Cup, said to the team, don't give any putts. Now, that might be a strategy, uh, and it might. And I think it's probably a good strategy. You know, sometimes it's not a bad, if you just know you're not going to be given a putt, it makes you a little twitchier on the approach putt. But the great captains and the great leaders in life and business, you follow them. You follow them. And when you're playing at golf, have the confidence to follow your instincts, but make sure your instincts are there to serve you and not to inhibit you. So yes, you're going to get upset in the golf course. Yes, your partner's going to hit a really bad shot at a critical time, but that's no excuse to get angry. It can be frustrating. It can be annoying, but your job or the best thing you can do is to be as supportive as you can and not allow their confidence to decline. And I think when you saw Justin Rose uh, look after Bob McIntyre, well, the first day Bob McIntyre couldn't putt, and the second day he couldn't putt until he made a putt on the 12th, and after that he was back in it. But Justin Rose gave him a platform of supreme confidence that he had his back. And I think that's all we can ever do for our partners is to make sure we have their back. So. That was it for this week. And I uh, I hope within that slight ramble on leadership, because that's such a huge topic, I know there's always a danger of going off on a tangent. And uh, I should do a podcast one day just on 
leadership stories I've heard because some of them are just hysterical. Uh, but I don't. I think leadership is something that comes from within. You can teach people the principles in the same way you can teach someone a joke. But as to their ability to execute it, I think a lot of it comes down to personality. Um, and that's just what I think. So I think there are people, uh, for example, who I'd love to see get captaincy in a Ryder Cup, but it won't happen for, you know, lots of reasons. And I think they're probably temperamentally uh, unsuited to the job. But I'm not going to say any more than that because I could be wrong. It has happened. Well, that's it for this week. As always, I talk about, you know, for those of you that are serious about doing the uh, mental game of golf or learning about the mental game of golf, I have a 13-week online program and it's called uh, Silent Mind Golf. It's a 13-week program <coughs> that contains um, short video lectures, downloadable PDFs, but most importantly, it has exercises, both on and off the course exercises. You can learn a language. You learn a language by training your brain and you learn the mental game of golf by training your brain. And even though people say, oh, I'm not good at learning, uh, your brain has enough what's called neuroplasticity. Uh, if I've mispronounced that, you can send me a note, uh, which it, it, you can form new uh, habits and new ways of perception and new ways of reacting. And uh, it's done often through forms of silence and meditation. It's done through on-course exercises. The 13-week program has had great reviews. And if you do it and stick to it, the difference you'll see in your game will be significant, I promise you. And uh, are your money back? How's that sound? Yep, are your money back. So winter's a great time to do this. Over the winter time, is a time out. No one wants to do it in the summer. They want to hit balls. So do I. But uh, starting in um, December is a time I would say get your headphones on and do the weekly course. So there's a link in the in the uh, in the uh, podcast notes, and uh, you can find the page there. So that's as good a plug as I can possibly give it. And uh, that's it for this week. So wherever you are in the world, please uh, enjoy yourself. Play good golf if you have the opportunity. And if you're in a part of the world where it's getting cold and windy, wrap up well and uh, maybe learn a bit more about the mental game of golf. And until we meet again, all the best. Mm -hmm.